It's a holiday story. It's a family story. It's a story of thousands of twinkling lights and countless memories. A story of crackling fireplaces and candlelight Christmas evenings, where the sounds of sleigh bells and carols echo all around. It's a story of peace and togetherness, of glittering ornaments, fragrant wreaths, and wide-eyed wonder. It's the enchanting story of a beloved tradition at America's largest home, with 250 magnificently decorated rooms, each with its own stories to tell. But all this can't begin to tell the full story of Christmas at Biltmore. Come walk in the footsteps of the Vanderbilt family and immerse yourself in a winter wonderland of endless holiday delights. Because as wondrous as the story of Christmas at Biltmore may be, it can never be complete without you. Plan your stay at Biltmore.com. Welcome to Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Join us in a sex-positive awakening adventure to help create a sex-positive world. Become part of a movement and start living a sex-positive lifestyle free of sexual shame and guilt. Adult Bedtime Stories is a Ravenslayer production. Adult Bedtime Stories is a show dedicated to bringing sacredness back to our sexuality and to learn about everything sexual. Allow the beautiful sexy creature within you to emerge. Each week the focus of the show will be on a different sexual topic designed to enlighten you so you develop more fully as a sexual being. This is a sex education that you didn't receive in high school, but should have. Imagine for a moment that we could change the world and live a sex-positive lifestyle. In our sex-negative world, the process of socialization teaches us to feel shame and guilt around sex. By adopting a new set of attitudes and values around sex, we can view sex with a new understanding, which is accompanied with positive emotions and the attitude that sex is a sacred act. I am Lady Boy Chi-Chi, a sex expert, a life coach, and a sacred harlot. My life vision is to create a sex-positive world through adult education and BDSM performance art. Hello and welcome. I am Ladyboy Gigi, and tonight our topic is sexploration. And we have a special guest tonight, Reverend Fox. <laughs> and of course, we have Paul. Hey, guys. <laughs> and tonight, we're going to go on a sexploration, exploring sexuality in its finest forms. <laughs> so, Reverend Fox, what all would you like to say and explore sexually tonight? 
I'm not sure we've got a lot of ground to cover. You know, mm-hmm. that, that there's a lot there to dig into. That can mean a lot of things for a lot of different folks. It could be exploring gender, exploring uh, gender roles as far as sex dynamics go, genders of partners. I mean, and that's not even digging what you can do with those people. You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know I've gone on quite an adventure in my lifetime, and I've explored anything and just about everything. <laughs> I would say the same. I might not have had nearly as many years of doing it, but uh, I got started early, so I've got I've had it quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, what are some of your more unusual explorations? Well, or um, kinky or fun? Well, okay, so let's let the curtain fall real fast. I guess uh, I was raised by a dominatrix, so I was very familiar with the idea of BDSM and the fact that there was an entire community devoted to it. And I was familiar with the fact that most normal folks have boundaries and they have things that they consider taboo and strange. But there wasn't any of that in my household. I was raised by a dominatrix and two gay men. So weird was just default. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) So from an early age, my sexual exploration probably started... I was first sexually active at like maybe started masturbating at like 10 and then actually started having sexual things happen probably anywhere between 12 and 13. I lost my virginity at 14 years old. You know, oh, wow. so there's been a lot of weird ground to navigate, you know, because mm. <laughs> uh, being raised by both uh, a pair of homosexual men and a woman who is deeply, deeply devoted to the BDSM community. I was raised with those things being completely normal. I was raised without any of the social taboos that are put in in place nowadays, you know. Yeah. And because of that, I was also the go-to person for a lot of people to explore with. Yeah. (laughs) I know for me, even in Boy Scouts, I was kind of different and unusual and got the nickname Goldilocks because I had hair down to the almost to my lower back and when it gets long it gets kind of (laughs) curly and I used to do things like teach the younger boy scouts not tying by tying them up and then fondling them (laughs) (laughs) of course it was consensual I knew which ones would enjoy it (laughs) And then we do circle jerks by the campfire, of course. <laughs> Those were a lot of fun. Most of my early homosexual experiences were with, like, I didn't really have friends growing up from a very young age. But in fifth grade, I had, like, a group of boys that all thought I was cool because I was the weird kid. Uh, so uh, a lot of it started from things very similar along those lines. Like, lots of wrestling going on, boys. What's going on there? <laughs> <laughs> I remember my earliest gay experience was I had this friend named Serena who had taught me this really fun game to play where she sucked my dick, and it was a very fun game. That sounds like an amazingly fun game. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and so I taught my friend Prisciliano this game. Oh, I see. And uh, for Prisciliano to get into it, there had to be a storyline. So we took turns being ogres. Oh. And we were eating each other, but 
really focusing heavily on one particular part <laughs> of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and I thought it was great. And he thought it was great at the time. But then afterwards, after that, he completely stopped talking to me and acted like I was really weird and kind of started bullying me. I so, experiences. Yeah. yeah, so that was that was a, a weird thing to go through. Well, that's a common reaction that a lot of people have when mm-hmm. confronting a homosexual tendency mm-hmm. is an initial knee-jerk rejection. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because there is that social stigma there, because there mm-hmm. are those things in place that make it taboo when it's perfectly natural and completely mm-hmm. normal to explore those kinds of things. In fact, I had a Catholic boy pursue me and he kept saying, oh, I want to have sex with you. I want to suck your dick. And he kept after me and I was at first thinking, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> but finally, he was very persistent and kept hounding me on it. So one night I said, okay. And we sucked each other's cocks and as soon as he came, he said, oh, I've committed this sin. I'm going to hell. Look what you did to me. And, dick, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and then from then on, it was like I was a horrible culprit that led him to the path of hell. <laughs> See, I always got in trouble because I was the boy that would sneak around and whisper to both the boys and the girls. And the teachers knew what to do if I was whispering to the girls, but they had no idea what to do when I was whispering to the boys. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> I was the same way. I mean, um, I kind of lost my virginity several times. At five years old, I seduced a babysitter. <laughs> she was like 14 or so, and I was like five. <laughs> So when I lost my virginity at 14, it was to a 17-year-old girl. Since I was a little kid, I would flirt with my mom's friends and my sister's friends because Uh, I had a thing for older women. Yeah. And then I lost it the next time. Sorry. When my father was a minister, Mm -hmm. and some of his minister friends were doing some kind of conference or something, and their kids spent the night with us. So I got in the bathtub with two other cute boys. And one of them asked me if he could fuck me up the ass. I said, oh, sure, go for it. <laughs> and we had glorious sex, but never used soap as a lubricant. Oh, yeah. no. <laughs> I rinsed it off. I said, no, no, that, that doesn't work. And I used saliva. Much but it was <laughs> when mm. when you're in the bathroom, conditioner works much better than soap. Oh yes, <laughs> very true. Don't use shampoo. No, shampoo will stink. No, that will burn. <laughs> no, no fun. But. Don't use Vicks. <laughs> uh, no, <laughs> well, unless you're into that. <laughs> well, okay. So uh, I had this one. I, I over my young adult life, I wasn't quite sure if I was. Uh, where I fit on the uh, like sexuality spectrum, because I always had a thing for androgyny. I always had a thing for boys and girls, but I didn't mm-hmm. quite know which like nomenclature to use, whether it was pan, bi, heteroflexible, because I was always introduced to so many different options. I just didn't know which one to pick. Yeah. But one of my early sexual experiences was probably like fifth grade area, kind of some somewhere around 10 maybe. 
I would collect boyfriends throughout my entire like sexual history. Just either platonic or maybe not so platonic. Sometimes yeah. other things would happen. <laughs> I don't want to out anyone's name, but I had this one friend around the time, and he lived cattywampus to me on the street. And we would hang out and skateboard and play video games together, and it was fine. But if we spent the night at each other's house, we had this kind of unspoken agreement that we were going to try and watch porn and masturbate together. Like, oh, that was cool. what we were going to do. <laughs> like, we had, it was just a little hush-hush thing. Like, we, neither of us ever said it out loud, but we mm. knew it was going to happen. So he would come over to my house, or I'd go over to his house, and we'd play video games until real late at night, until the good kind of things come up on TV that you could find as a young kid. And we would put something on, and then we would both kind of look at each other like, oh, is are we doing that now? Is that the thing that's going on? And sure <laughs> enough, we would absolutely. And not just once. We would just keep going until both of us passed the fuck out. That was just... Always <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Some, like my, some of my earliest heterosexual uh, 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 experiences also involved just unadulterated hedonism. And <laughs> oh, yeah. Just, just keep going. <laughs> I have a question for you. Yeah. I know you knew, knew a lot of people in school that were a little bit more vanilla, straight-laced. Oh, yes. How did it feel having such a sexually liberated and free upbringing as compared to some of your peers? Uh, when I was really young, it was confusing because I didn't understand homophobia. I couldn't get my head around how you could think that kind of way. It just it didn't make sense to me. I was the same way. I thought... This is bad. Why? I don't like. It's just like I, I couldn't. And anytime someone would try and explain it to me, I would just look at them like, "Here, well, you're fucking stupid." I'm like, like three, and I know you're dumb. <laughs> but like, anyway, but no, I think just because of my age range, eventually, like as I've grown older and older and older, it's become more socially acceptable. The world has become a, a much more understanding place, and. I've explored and gotten to know that the the just because there are those vanilla people out there doesn't mean that there aren't more people who aren't vanilla. Yeah, you know, I'm not alone. Even if I am in a room full of just redneck Republicans or something, <laughs> you know, like I, it doesn't matter who what company I'm in. I know that somewhere out there. There's someone else yeah. who's either weirder <laughs> than me or into some shit I've never even thought about. Like, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> well, I remember earlier I was talking about how one of the things I like about being in the scene is you've got people like me, like everyone in this room, that wear their weirdness on their sleeve. And you Absolutely. can tell that we're freaks the second you look at us. But you also have a lot of people in completely casual, regular clothing. And if you met them on the street, you would never guess that they were into the things that they're into. But if you bring it up, you'll find out that they're kinkier than anyone you've ever met. Yeah. One of the things that I'm studying to become a sex coach, and one of the things say we just reviewed the Kinsey and his influence. Okay. And one of the things he discovered was that anything you can imagine, there are lots of people out there doing it. And one of our mottos is assume that your client has done anything and everything sexual. Start with that basis okay. and go from there. Word. And I start with where the client is, of course, but just... Don't assume that they're 
anything but sexual beings and have explored anything and everything under the sun. So uh, I get a lot of friends of mine who are couples that come to me with sexual questions or things revolving around their sexuality. And sometimes I get involved and help, you know, I've uh, tied up a few wives before in my day. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, um, <laughs> but one of my couple friends, uh, they're all about making money from home. So they do a lot of different cool little arts and crafts, all kinds of nifty projects. And they were curious because I've done cam modeling before. And they're like, we're both a little overweight. We both need to hit the gym or something along those lines. We're not comfortable with our bodies being on camera is really what they were getting down to. Yeah. And uh, they were like, I don't think we would make any money. I'm like, listen, y'all, it does not matter. It doesn't matter. (laughs) It doesn't matter what you look like. People are willing to watch you have sex. I promise someone is Mm -hmm. willing to watch you have sex. In fact, (laughs) it's better if you present as a normal, regular human being, not Mm -hmm. the Hollywood version. Exactly. Um, The human body does not come in one shape, color, size. No, mm -hmm. they vary drastically. And I guarantee you someone's attracted to every single one of them. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And and even genitals are pretty Mm -hmm. unique. I mean... Oh, yeah. No, they come in a variety of shapes and colors and sizes. Oh, definitely. (laughs) And they're also beautiful. It's a spectrum. (laughs) Anything that comes on a spectrum like that. Anything that comes. um, (laughs) Pardon me. Sorry. (laughs) Oh, I like anything that... Did I say that? (laughs) No, I do love having openness and this freedom of sexual expression it's like we are living in such the dark ages of sexuality but i'm seeing new trends and movements and Mm -hmm. just in my lifetime oh i'm sure it's been such a change Mm -hmm. i mean i remember i could have been Mm -hmm. beaten and maybe killed if i'd been out and open Mm -hmm. In my teens, but I knew I was bisexual from word go. Mm-hmm. I well, knew I was, I didn't know the word for it, but I knew I wasn't quite right down there. Something was wrong. And it wasn't until college that I discovered, oh, I'm intersex, and they did surgeries on my body to make me look something I wasn't. Mm-hmm. But even other kids knew. Uh, other the boys wouldn't let me join the all boys club. The girls wouldn't let me join the all girls club. And so I knew I was walking in the shadows. But well, did you in ever... a beautiful way, I felt a connection with my true self through, even though I didn't know what it was at the time. I was going to ask, did you ever get to? Not necessarily be open, because I know that that probably was not an option at certain times. But were there friends that you got to talk to that knew that you were a little bit more explorative or strange, oh, if you will? You know? definitely. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I had one friend. We used to go up in his attic, and he had stolen a bunch of his father's porn mag- playboys. Oh, Back then, it was Playboy, you know. I was the source, and, by the way, of that shit for my friends. <laughs> Playboy and Penthouse. Ooh, yes, the good and, stuff. And, I mean, even back in the late 60s and early 70s, Playboy and Penthouse was very tame porn compared to today. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> But the internet's a beautiful place. <laughs> but, oh, it got us so hot and horny. I mean, I got a boner like you wouldn't believe. Mm-hmm. 
and doing it with this one of my best friends, it was like, but he was very straight and he'd kind of take one corner of the attic and I'd be on the other end and because <laughs> it's always funny the boundaries <laughs> that well it's not gay if I and because we we're looking at straight porn it was oh, all okay yeah, no, oh yeah. yeah yeah definitely so there's girls involved it doesn't matter if they're pictures of girls there's nothing mm-hmm. gay going on here dude yeah two yeah. men masturbating <laughs> I I remember there was a kid that I went to Boy Scouts with. And years later, years after I had gotten out of Boy Scouts, I was at a burn and I ran into him at a sex camp and we had some catching up and talked. And I was like, you remember, because his tent was the one that everyone went to because he had Playboys. Oh. Um, and I was like, you remember when we were camping at Boy Scouts and we thought we were so cool because we got to hang out in a tent and look at Playboys. And now look at where we're camping. Like, did you ever think <laughs> at that <Irony>. time? <laughs> yeah. When I was in uh, seventh grade, we went on a field trip, the whole class. And me being the hellion little renegade I was, mm-hmm. I wore a leather vest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and stuffed into my back lining, I had one of my, uh, I had the Dita Von Tees special Playboy with this beautiful centerfold. She's a wonderful person. Anyway, I had that stuffed in there. Mm-hmm. And I thought I was going to be the only kid. So I was going to charge people. I was a hustler as a child. So mm-hmm. I would, <laughs> I was going to charge kids to borrow it. You know, like, all right, man, you got five minutes, bring it back. You know, five bucks, five minutes. And uh, turns out there was another kid at another cabin <laughs> who had a fucking Playboy. I went over to him. I was like, what do you got, man? Show me what you got. I'll show you what I got. What do you got? We sat there and we compared Playboys. And like, I, I may or may not have spent the night in that cabin that night. Yeah. <laughs> well, I have a question for you. Sure. Um, I love questions. I know that I was very curious and I learned about sex by doing it before I learned the names of it. Mm. And you kind of alluded to it earlier in the show, but once I learned the names, I thought, what's wrong with you people? This is so amazing. But I guess my question is, and this is something that's, I think, a big issue today out there, is that kids are sexual. And to grow up in a... I mean, I had to keep mine secret. My father was a minister and... Bit conservative. My brothers and sisters were all very conservative. They had the bishop come perform exorcism on me, uh, I wasn't- and they didn't even know about all the sex I was doing. But I felt very liberated, even having to keep it secret. And I'm just curious, how did it feel to be more open and? who you were and sexually expressive as a kid? Uh, Or was it something you had to kind of keep secret? Well, I still had to keep it secret up until I was probably in around middle school. So like sixth or seventh grade. Mostly because I was not a popular person. I was the the outcast. I was the weird kid. Yeah. (laughs) So uh, I didn't have friends pretty much up until the fifth grade. And then whenever I got to middle school, that is when I 
prettied up. Like, I went after I hit puberty, I got real pretty. <laughs> and then I also uh, started realizing that, hey, you know, I've got a really interesting thing for androgyny. I've got a really interesting thing for stuff outside of just the gender binary, the sexual binary. Like, I kind of like fluidity. And I would have those conversations with my straight friends, and I would have those conversations with my gay friends, and I would have my co those conversations with my friends who did not know they were gay yet, but I did. You know, I would <laughs> talk to everyone and try and get their pinpoints and perspectives. So I guess to answer your question, it was very liberating and open to be that liberated, you know, to have that from such an early age and from such a, a an early get-go, to have an understanding of the fundamentals of sex, not necessarily the sexual encounters I had, but the sexual knowledge that I was instilled with mm -hmm. made me very prepared for experiencing those things as I grew up and as I wanted to explore. I never felt scared to do it because I was never afraid of who I was. Yeah. You know. Ah, oh, that's beautiful. <laughs> I feel like I put it very succinctly. <laughs> <laughs> so w one of the things I kind of wanted to go back to, you were talking about how when you got to school and you found out that people thought gay was a bad thing and mm -hmm. you were like, what are you talking about? I remember my experience with that is so my mom's best friend growing up was a fag hag and all of her other friends other than my mom were gay men. And so I got to go to these fabulous gay parties growing up and then I got to kindergarten and I started hearing people talk bad about gay people and it's the first time I had ever experienced it my parents had told me that it happened but i'd never experienced it before see, yeah. these kids were talking about it and i was like what are you talking about you should go to one of their parties there's great food <laughs> and everyone looks amazing they're dressed really well you know they, they they've got fun houses they always have cool shit in them like and they don't mind when you touch things as a little kid. Like, they're great. So I had two dads, uh -huh. and my parents were divorced ever since I was about one. Yeah. Um, my dad had the same partner for uh, their entire lives together, so like 16 years. My dad died when I was 16. So 16 years they were together. So I got to see what gay monogamy looked like from mm -hmm. two dudes who were, uh, my, one of my fathers was a drag queen mm -hmm. and the other one was from A-Leaf, Texas and mm -hmm. had to grow up in the closet. Mm -hmm. And then once he got to Houston and got to be out, he was the fuck out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he was a Montrose, 80s through 90s Montrose gay man. So oh, wow. that's, that's to give you a good perspective. <laughs> Uh, Who knows? I might have run into him at one point. He designed clubs and uh, he's a handsome bastard. <laughs> but so I actually got to witness homophobia firsthand at my dad's when we were out in public, though. That was the mm. thing. Like living in Texas, I got to mm -hmm. witness homophobia. And it also, on my dad's side of the family, they're not the most open minded folk, even though my dad was gay and I had two dads and they were at every family event. They kissed each other in front of them. They knew what was going on, but still they are, you know, Southern mm -hmm. Texan. They've got their ways, whatever the hell. I don't get it, but same thing. It's one of those, I just don't understand how you can think like that kind of situations. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was never, I was always the, the person who would challenge people who talked about it badly. 
if uh, two kids were making fun of another kid or calling them gay or something along those lines, I would fucking snark back at, back at them. If I was being the subject of homophobia, I would bark back at them about wh- however which way I could manage to, mm-hmm. you know, de-escalate the situation, but mm-hmm. also stand my ground kind of yeah. thing, you know. Because yeah. <laughs> the last thing I want them to do is to have, like, a homophobe barking at me and then me, like, bark back at them and then just somehow ruin the situation. Like, oh, great, now they think that every gay defender is going <clears> to <throat> destroy them. Yeah. Like, no, I want you yeah. to realize that we're people. Chill mm-hmm. the fuck out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, pardon me. I've got feelings. <laughs> no. That's a good thing. Oh, yeah. But there weren't a lot of people championing that for a long time. I, I recall that growing up as a kid, and it made it harder for me to explore and for me to come mm-hmm. to people when like it's hard to tell a straight dude like hey man i think you might be a little gay in you know football season texas yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or maybe bisexual exactly you know you like know. Yeah, yeah, anything i consider myself genderqueer masculine presenting because i love you know things mm-hmm. on both sides um, yeah but as far as sexuality is concerned i've never quite been able to keep i i say bisexual because it's just the easiest word to make everyone understand yeah <laughs> but i i don't quite feel that encapsulates it correctly i feel that the spectrum is too varied and people's sexuality varies on what fucking time of day it is you yeah. know <laughs> well and there is a big movement to quit trying to classify all this stuff and just be who you are there's i think if you want a nomenclature and you want something to uh, have a name Mm -hmm. if you want to have a word for it yes do the research look into the communities and find out where you belong absolutely do so but if you don't want there to be a word for it don't use a word for it Mm -hmm. yeah well i think part of why i embrace the word bisexual so dearly is I grew up where there's either gays or straights here in Houston. Very few were out bisexuals. I was one of the only ones back in the day. And I got I got a lot of shit about that. <laughs> I remember the first time I went to a bisexual conference. And it was like, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> it's like, I found home. I found kindred spirits. When would this have been? In the early 90s. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it was like, I had boyfriends that as soon as I came out, they said, oh, if you're bisexual, I'm going to dump you because you're going to dump me for a girl. I've had gay guys turn me down just because uh, I'm bi. Yeah. (laughs) I had a girlfriend once when I came out as bi she took me up to her bedroom. She fucked my brains out. And then she said, we're breaking up. I don't date bisexuals. <laughs> well, you'll fuck them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's half the reason I get... Well, okay, so um, just from personal experience and things that I've done sexually, I learned how to eat pussy from lesbians. That was like that was mm-hmm. a goal, though, was to specifically... That's who I sought out to teach. <laughs> yeah. Um. <laughs> Uh, but uh, I've always kind of made that a thing to let girls know, like, ahead of time, like, okay, so I explore sexuality through various different conduits, and partners that I'm with sometimes, maybe it's not even about what sex we're having. Maybe it's a learning experience. Like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) sex for me doesn't have to be what sex for vanilla people is. 
and I try and explain these kinds of things going into relationships, and it tends to go one of two ways. Either they're fucking completely on board, and they just want to oh, go yeah. <laughs> completely balls to the wall and see where we can take it, or they shut down. Yeah. And they're like, I don't know how I feel about that idea. That's too much freedom. That's too much exploration. That's too wide of a space to look at. They, they can't stare into the void. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that's part of the sex-negative culture we live in. Mm-hmm. We're Absolutely so is. conditioned to... I see this all the time. Oh, I hope what I'm doing is is normal. Mm-hmm. It's got to fit in that norm normalcy. One of the most common phrases uh, that is Googled, uh, you can look up and find out what the most popular phrase is. Just the beginning sentence, one of the most common one is, is it normal too? Yeah. Because people are so concerned that they appear normal that anything, even the simplest thing, is it normal to sneeze? (laughs) Yes, it's normal to sneeze. Calm the fuck down. (laughs) Is it normal to? I guarantee you, whatever it is you're Googling, is it normal to? There's at least a million other people who've Googled it before you. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's fucking normal, guys. (laughs) Well, and my take on it is that if it's human and it's sexual, no matter what you're doing, what you want to do, it's been done by millions of people. I mean, think of the numbers. We have over 5 billion people, no, 7 billion, billion yeah. people in the world. Somebody's got to have done it before you. Statistically <laughs> speaking, it's all been done before. It has. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. You know, it's like um, one of the common things on the internet is rule 34. Oh, yeah, if it exists. That, yeah, if if it exists, there's, there's porn. porn of it. Yeah. And what's hilarious about it is no one else knows what number rules one through thirty three are. No one cares. <laughs> but that's the one everyone knows. I was actually thinking about this earlier today when I was cleaning. Now, just hear me out. Grammatically speaking, you should be able to rearrange those words and it'd still be the same sentence. Uh, just that's how logic and words work. <laughs> so technically, if there's porn of it, it exists. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's just, mm-hmm. that's my new theory is that, like, if mm-hmm. there's porn of it, it exists. So, as opposed to worrying about, like, I wonder if there's people out there who are into this thing, don't worry about that. First, Google if there's porn of the thing you're into, then I guarantee you there's at least a market worth of people <laughs> yeah. that are into it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and on that note, boy, the time flies. We're to station break time. <laughs> I do want to remind people we finally got our membership site up and running. And this is a safe space to talk about anything sexual. We, you can, we've got a section where you can talk about what you learned from the shows and previous shows and, or this show and, and discuss how it's affected your life. How it's opened new doors or maybe closed some doors. Who knows? But it's a place that's a safe environment to come on and ask questions or share experiences or bring a conversation with kindred spirits, people that really are wanting to live a more sex-positive lifestyle and have sexual freedom of expression. And so... 
You can find that by going to my website. It's ravenslayerleather.com. And we also have training videos on BDSM and on tantric sex. And I don't call it that on the videos, but we've got a lot of different trainings to expand your sexual horizons. Sexplorations. <laughs> I love the topic name. <laughs> As I always try to pitch on, during the station break, we do this out of pocket. The show has so far been just on our own, but we would love your support. If you get something from this show, we do have a Patreon page, and we've got a link to our Patreon page on my website. So go to the podcast, Adult Bedtime Stories, on my website and check us out on Patreon. If you can spare a dollar a month or five dollars a month, it would really help us out. So back to sexplorations. Wonderful. <laughs> I love that you give a, a space for that, by the way. Oh, yes. <laughs> no worries. Um, so one of the things I was thinking about earlier was um, I remember my last partner I had they were giving me a blowjob for the first time and I told them I'm kind of weird I, I, I actually really like a very toothy blowjob <laughs> and they were like what? Hmm. and I was like yeah I, I like a really toothy blowjob and at first they were like really timid with it I'm like, no, really, really get your teeth in there. Like, bite down. And then they bit... Have a snack, lady. Yeah. <laughs> and then they bit my dick. And, like, they saw me react. And, like, at first it made them kind of scared. I was like, no, that's a good thing. That's it's a, a good, good reaction. Thing. <laughs> that's a good uh -huh. reaction. And then it didn't take long, though, for them to be really, really into it. And then they were at this all, like, femme like camp out that they went on mm -hmm. and uh, all of the the people had been like talking about sex and then they like started talking about like what their sex life had been like since dating me and like all of these other queer like femme identified you know, or non-binary people were just like hanging on their every word and I remember them telling that group about that and and listening to her tell me about it later and them saying like oh like if you ever find someone that will let you bite their dick like it's so empowering just <laughs> just do it just, just go ahead <laughs> yeah mm -hmm. oh i'm sure it is mm -hmm. just as a symbol being able to chew on the symbol <laughs> oh, yes <laughs> It's brilliant. Well, okay, so because I was very open from a very early age that I uh, I was not openly bisexual as a teenager, but I was not denying anything either. Like, I, yeah. I, uh, um, uh, <laughs> if I got called gay, it was not that I s said I wasn't gay. I would stop the person, I would try to stop the person from thinking there was something wrong with calling someone gay. You know, like, <laughs> like you can't do that, regardless of whether I am or not. But, um, so, because I was open, 
there were lots of rumors and there were lots of talk back and forth between people, especially if I happened to have had sex or some sexual encounter with them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got known amongst the various groups uh, for uh, a variety of things. Uh, like I told y'all earlier, mm-hmm. I was a cam model. And uh, in order to do that, you have to have certain requirements. <laughs> so... Um, uh, that knowledge was spread around uh, friend group to friend group from a very early age. So mm. my queer friends would come up to me in quiet and they would be like, so I heard this thing about your dick. <laughs> 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 and then the straight girls would come up to me in class and they would roll up to me and they'd be like, so a friend of mine told me that a friend of mine, and they would give me this long spiel and try and find a way to bring up my penis. <laughs> but it was always the same kind of thing. Like, mm-hmm. um, be- once uh, any bit of sexual information about you gets out, like, uh, uh, at one point or another, mm-hmm. um, uh, it came out that I was into poly, and that was how I eventually got into my first poly relationship. I was probably 16, maybe a little bit earlier than that. I met a girl who also happened to share a biting fetish i have a biting fetish i love it it's my favorite um <laughs> i'm uh, my main fetish is sensation play so anything with hard sensation uh, it's complicated mm-hmm. but sensation is the main blanket mm-hmm. <laughs> that girl that i was dating was also into sensation and biting was the main one mm-hmm. and she was curious about exploring polyamory and i was like perfect because there's a really cute girl on campus that i really want to date that's not you <laughs> <laughs> so i approached this other girl and she didn't know that i already had a girlfriend and i explained to her that i wanted her to be my girlfriend cuz she was cute and i wanted to see where that was going to go mm-hmm. and she agreed cuz she thought i was cute and then i explained to her that i already had a girlfriend and she was like oh i don't know how i feel about that i was like how about you just give it a, che- a test ride we dated for like 6 months which mm-hmm. as teenagers is a long time yeah you know oh yeah um but uh we i would have them both sit on my lap in the cafeteria in the courtyard and when we went to public spaces i would have both of them on each arm and we would kiss each other and they would kiss each other but it wasn't a triangle it was a v mm-hmm. it was always very specifically that dynamic i always had that mm-hmm. it wasn't until much later on that i got into like polycules and different shapes and polyamory mm-hmm. and just oh, yeah. complete openness and stuff oh and, yeah Uh, uh, but uh, from a very early age I was open to the idea of multiple partners because I I never really understood like why tie yourself down unless you want to Mm -hmm. like if you both agree on monogamy that's fine good for you have fun but if one of you doesn't want that that's kind of unhealthy yeah yeah yeah. and I've seen that a lot like especially so there's a term in the polyamorous community a cowboy which is someone who hangs around poly people and gets generally one of the women roped into a relationship and then Mm -hmm. is like, oh, by the way, I would be more comfortable. Like, normally it starts, I would be more comfortable if starting out we were monogamous. And Mm -hmm. then the non-monogamous mm, part mm. of the relationship never happens. Never happens. See, my yeah. experiences have always been the inverse. We start off poly because neither of us want to do anything with commitment, and then we both go, oh, shit, I really like you. Do you want to try monogamy for a little while? <laughs> <laughs> and then it either works or it doesn't. <laughs> and actually, let's just go with how my status is. Uh, it doesn't. <laughs> I am single. I would that. like to <laughs> clarify one thing, though. Yeah, sure. I know that a lot of people think when you're poly, there's no commitment. Mm, 
No, quite the opposite. And there is a very deep commitment and a lot of communications because poly means different things to different people. And you got to spell it out. But I love to kind of clarify things. Um, well, okay, so uh, my polyamorous relationships have varied, so, and the dynamics have varied, and the amount of commitment has varied. Each oh, yeah. and every relationship has been different. and I think, As it should be. <laughs> I think that's how you have to approach polyamory, is to understand that it's not going to be the same thing for every person and every partner. It's not going to mean the same thing. Your relationships between two people are just that alone, just between you two, regardless Very of whether you're poly or... <laughs> Not mm. that is a commitment that you got to make is that you're willing to be this part of this person for whatever purpose that is. Your relationship dynamic is your relationship dynamic. It's whatever. And I've I've often said on the show that you know sexual orientation is kind of a misnomer. Uh, we don't. It's very disorienting. <laughs> well, also when you think about it. There's so much more than just what's between the legs that forms attraction. Genitals are the most important part of sex. (laughs) Oh, high five. I like that. (laughs) Say that again. Genitals are the least important part of sex. Uh Uh-huh. Right. Um, they're some of the most fun, but oh yeah, <laughs> oh they're amazing, and I love. I'm not trying to knock them. I'm a huge fan. (laughs) Hey, I've taken such joy in just looking at a beautiful vulva along with a beautiful erect heart penis and that uh, boys and girls alike (laughs) will send me their nudes as a friend to judge Uh them because i i I just i will be like yeah your fucking pussy looks amazing girl oh yeah your labia (laughs) is just gorgeous i love what you've done with your pubes it's gorgeous it's beautiful and then dudes will send me the dick pics like hey man is this good enough to send to a chick i'm like no 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 your lighting's all wrong buddy you've got a small dick you gotta light that thing right (laughs) and also it's It's a beautiful small dick let's work with it (laughs) for those with pubic hair you can trim it and shape it and make it look beautiful on valentine's i mean we give ourselves haircuts why not Pubic haircuts. On Valentine's, <laughs> I like to do a heart. <laughs> ah, yes. <laughs> now, me, I like the smooth. <laughs> on myself, anyway. Yeah, for me, it varies on the body part. Like, yeah. I, I, the only reason my ass is hairy is because it's such a bother to shave. <laughs> I've, I've lazy. gotten, I've so gotten lazy. pretty good at that recently, actually. Yeah. Well, I think when I really got into shaving was... When the AIDS crisis hit, and we had to use condoms, and rolling a condom off with pubic hair oh, yeah. no fun. was not the right kind of ouch. <laughs> See, I have a latex allergy. I only got to learn that lesson a couple of times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they make non-latex yeah, they, they do. Oh, all of condoms. my other sexual experiences that I've had, I've had some other form of protection. And oh, yes. <laughs> there's wonderful things other than condoms, though. There are so many better options. <laughs> oh, name a few. Oh, dental dams. You've got yes. fucking female condoms, which feel mm-hmm. better, in my opinion. Uh, I mean, shit. <laughs> Spermicide, spray-on condoms. There's a whole bunch of fucking options for. Spermicide. Oh yes. 
It depends uh, on what you're trying to, vo to avoid. If you're trying to avoid STDs, condoms are very effective and very useful. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I encourage people to use them. I'm not saying don't use condoms. I would never tell people not to use condoms. Please, yeah. for the love of whatever deity you choose to pick, use condoms if you need to use condoms. <laughs> well, one of the things that has really alarmed me in my this course I'm presently on is on sexual ed education. Yeah from K to 12, and the statistics are horrifying. The number of pregnancies and STDs has gone skyrocketed in this country because of this no abstinence-only yeah. BS. It's like, now, if you want to be abstinent, that's cool, but for a lot of people, it doesn't work. And so there should be a <laughs> full sex clergy. ed. <laughs> we are designed by nature to be sexual beings. We have a powerful drive to be sexual. And when puberty hits and all those hormones hit, it's like, how can you not be sexual? You And you have to give society a place to explore those things without taboos without yeah. those kind of social stigmas because it is such a huge part of who we are just even as a species uh -huh. <laughs> much less a society i mean <laughs> from a societal standpoint there is such a huge heavy emphasis on sex and what in what is and what isn't considered okay and i think that we've spent too much time trying to figure that out versus time that we could have spent accepting people and learning how much there is to explore. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, because the nomenclature that we use today is going to be outdated in 10 years. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the, the words that we use to describe gender and gender identity and sexuality and sexual orientation and fucking even relationships is not going to matter 100 years from now. <laughs> well, one of the big impacts that's hitting the world right now is the internet and the age of information and we're learning that some of the things we thought were way out there no, they're are, everywhere everywhere <laughs> people are doing it yeah, yeah. <laughs> i love seeing gender identity stuff coming from places that you never would have expected mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. like i've got a friend of mine who's a gay man who fled africa like 20 years ago and he recently told me about uh, a person who came from there because they were transgendered. And uh, he said, was it like before? Like, were you persecuted? And then they were like, no, I came because I wanted to get a cool job. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> like, that's amazing, though, that, that mm -hmm. you, uh, across the world, I think just the spread of information and acceptance, the fact that mm -hmm. there are there are more voices that are cool with it than there yeah. are those who are like, you shouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like, uh, there's there's this uh, guy I've been listening to on Facebook called uh, Bo of the Fifth Column. I would suggest everyone checking him out. He's really awesome. Ooh, but he, promotion. He, uh, he's, uh, he's this redneck guy. He seems very ex-military. I recently found out he was never in the military, but he seems like the type. Big beard. Definitely a redneck. Also, in Texas, just for listeners who aren't mm -hmm. local, redneck is not pejorative if you are from Texas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
And we even have something called Bubba Pagans. Ooh. <laughs> I love those, though. Uh, <laughs> yep, I was up at Sowin. <laughs> <laughs> up in Flatonia. <laughs> and actually, we just came back from a Pagan Festival at CMA. It was Beltane, fertility, and mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. That's why it was my sex, favorite. Sex, sex temple. Why it was my favorite. I'm like, oh, that's why it's my favorite. Yeah, sex temple rocked. <laughs> it was amazing. I've been in the pagan community for a long time, and I used to like to do these poor Bubba pagan heads in, and it's like. I would be in this tutu. My dick would be wiggling all over the place in full view. I wore it high up on my waist. And I'd do a lap dance for these Bubba Pagans. <laughs> and they would be squirming and so uncomfortable at first. And then they got to know me and they thought, oh, that's just GG. <laughs> it's okay now. <laughs> uh, I would show up to um, punk rock shows, and my like main gimmick when I was on stage was like taking my clothes off, like very Iggy Pop. Like I would take off my shirt and like get fucking wild and like jump out in the crowd and stuff, and I would rip my shirts off of me and stuff. But I would also show up in makeup. Uh, oh, cool! <laughs> so I would have lipstick and eyeshadow and like all kinds of other stuff. But it wasn't like I was trying to do rock star makeup. I was raised by a drag queen. I wanted pretty, beautiful. I wanted my mm-hmm. cheekbones to look nice. I wanted it full blown. Uh, I think you've seen me performing makeup before. Yeah. At one of my mom's events. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I would show to these punk shows like that. And I would, you know, like lean up on the girls and be very seductive. And then I would turn, they would introduce me to their boyfriend or something and i would lean right up to him too and be just Uh. as seductive like uh, i've got some scruff and a whole lot of makeup do you think i care that y'all are in something right now i'm totally gonna get in the middle of that what's up y'all are cute (laughs) and one of the things that really fascinated the bubba pagans was that i would have red painted nails i'd work all day long at work weekends with a chainsaw, cutting down trees, clearing campsites, and I'd take my gloves off at the end of the day, didn't have a chip one. <laughs> and they Damn go, straight. How can you do that? I go, I'm magic. I'm fake. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I can, bitch. You, well, <laughs> so, uh, one of my favorite things to do, like I, I, I like I said, I'm very masculine presenting. I, I've always kind of, mm-hmm. when I was younger, I teetered on it a lot more towards femme. And when I was uh, pr- like, uh, when I sixth grade, uh, the very first day of sixth grade, I had um, only bangs on the front of my hair, down to my chin, in sort of a, a V kind of bob looking thing. The back of my head shaved. And I wore a, um, like, fishnet shirt <laughs> and a pair of shorts that I loved wearing because it looked a bunch like I was wearing a kilt like or a oh, skirt. Wow. <laughs> like, so the very first day of school, I was known for being the boy who looked like a girl mm-hmm. and <laughs> might have been wearing a skirt. <laughs> I had, the very first day of school, I got a lesbian's phone number because she did. She d- walked up to me and she was like, "I don't know, but I'm into it." <laughs> oh, <cool. laughs> like, yes, please. That is exactly that's the line. I teetered mm-hmm. that for a long time, and then once I started uh, being, I always wanted a beard as a kid, so I haven't been able to really do drag or any good makeup since I started growing facial hair, which was like four or five years ago. 
Well, actually, I've seen several drag queens that you can had full beards it's, and so pulled it not, off really well. It's not the look that I had when I wanted to perform. When I wanted to perform, I wanted to be very on the cusp. I didn't. Ah, uh, yes. I, I love androgyny. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's one of my go to or go fors. <laughs> but um, when I was younger, I teetered on it a whole lot and I explored it a lot more. And I think that's why I'm very comfortable presenting masculine. But like, even still, like right now I'm in pants, a button up shirt and uh, a blazer, but all of every single piece of it is a piece of woman's clothing. Yeah. You know, or quote, quote, <laughs> woman's clothing. Yeah. <laughs> so it's masculine presenting, but it's also still gender fluid. It's also still gender bending mm-hmm. uh, in its own kind of way. And, I, you know, that's kind of an interesting topic because I know that when I was quite young, I got caught trying on my mother's pumps <laughs> and walking my around. My mom taught me how to walk in heels, and so did one of my daddies. <laughs> <laughs> that's so awesome. But, oh, I was in trouble for weeks. <laughs> I was encouraged. <laughs> That's awful, though. Well, like I say, my father was a minister. Yeah, help yourself. Um, my father was a minister, and I got... But I was the typical preacher kid. I was always creating havoc. I mean, I was supposed to be an acolyte. They forced me into it. And I said, okay, I'll be an acolyte if I can have my own acolyte robe. And I sewed in a little big pocket just inside, and I knew how to pick the lock on the communion wine cabinet. And I got one of those um, gas siphoning hoses. Oh, yeah. I put a clip on the collar, which went down to the bottle. And I put my hands together very reverently. <laughs> booze on communion wine? Bend down in prayer and take a big hit of communion wine. And the women of the church would come up to me after the service and say, Darling, you are the best acolyte. You are glowing. <laughs> and I was fucking drunk off my butt. <laughs> I was going to ask Paul. Mm-hmm. So... You, uh, obviously, your clothing is very across the spectrum as far mm-hmm. as genders are concerned. I don't mm-hmm. even think uh, you can justify... That's one of the things I love about Paul. <laughs> um, uh, uh, just each unique piece is, uh, could go any way, uh, and I, I love that about you. It's beautiful. It's like a I spy book. But <laughs> <laughs> so, um, when did you start dressing that way, or have you always dressed that way? Well, um, so... For a long time, my parents picked my clothing, and I had no interest in what they chose. My mom was a hippie, and I started raiding my mom's closet. And it got (laughs) so bad at one point that my mom would get a new piece from from the thrift store, and she would tell me, Okay, Paul. I'm going to show you this. But you can't wear it. No. She said, you're going to want it. You have to let me wear it three times before you can have it. My mom had so many similar things. Mm -hmm. That's actually how I got into electroplay was I was going through my mom's uh, closet for clothes. 
Mm-hmm. And I found her violet wand <laughs> and started playing with it all myself. But I was mm-hmm. going through trying to go through my mom's clothes because we were always around the same size. Mm-hmm. I still wore one of her jackets. Mm-hmm. But um, so you had worn your mom's clothes from an early age. But was it more? Was it still masculine clothes that you or that you could pull off as masculine? Um, yeah. For for a long time, I did more masculine clothes. Like, uh, starting. When I was 19 or 20, I started wearing a few skirts, but I didn't really think of them as, like, a feminine apparel. It was more just, like, a fuck you, men can wear skirts too thing. Fair. And I wasn't really exploring my gender with clothing until uh, I can still remember the skirt. And unfortunately, I no longer have the skirt, but... At one point, I had this friend, like, had this one skirt, and they were like, here, this is yours. Someone gave this to me. It's five sizes too small for me. I'm never going to fit in it. And you're always wearing skirts, but you never wear anything fucking sexy. (laughs) And you've got a great ass. Like, put something on that will highlight your ass. And I put it on, and, like, that was all it took. I was like, oh, my God. And then a few years later, my ex-girlfriend went through this huge personality shift where all of a sudden she was, like, looking to dress classier and uh, more refined and things like that. And she had this entire wardrobe full of clothing that I had coveted um, (laughs) since before we had dated because we knew each other in high school. And I was rough on clothing, so she wouldn't let me, like, wear her clothing or steal her clothing. So, like, when she, like, finally got rid of all of her clothes, she was like, you can take anything you want. And... I got so many more clothes, uh. um, and that's where most of my skirts and dresses, or at least the base of my wardrobe, came from. And then I started collecting more. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Some of mine started from ex-girlfriends. Uh, they mm-hmm. would like leave behind a shirt or something here and there. And at a uh, 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 very early age, I was very fond of wearing girls' t-shirts just mm-hmm. because I liked the way the cut fit on my body more. Mm-hmm. Even though a lot of people thought I looked a little silly, I still thought they looked a lot better and a lot uh, just fit me well. Mm-hmm. So ex-girlfriends would leave their clothes behind, and I would steal them. And I was always wearing girl clothes from a young age because I would get weird hand-me-downs from my sister, like old pairs of jeans that had paint on them and stuff. So I was comfortable with girl pants, but girl shirts were like a thing I specifically remember making the choice to wear. You mm-hmm. know, like, I'm wearing a girl's shirt, and I don't care who knows it's a girl's mm-hmm. shirt. Yeah. One of my very <laughs> early sexual experiences, I was around, I'd say, 13, maybe 12, somewhere around there. And my mom was very common for taking in transient people, friends of hers that needed a place to live for a handful of months. And so we'd get this rotating cast of weirdos and wonderfuls. And one of them was a stripper. Who's, I guess I can use her stripper name because it's not her real name. Yeah. <laughs> so her name was Crystal. That was her stripper name. And her being a stripper, she had a wonderful pair of boobs. And there's that... probably a lot of Crystal strippers exactly. out so there. I can, I can see it and it's fine. 
Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the stage, Crystal. <laughs> yeah, I do that too good. <laughs> How can you tell I grew up in strip clubs? Um, <laughs> so, um, uh, my mom had this roommate. It was the girl with Crystal. And I am 12 or 13, okay? I am a horny little boy. It is a oh, fact yeah. of life. This girl knows it. This girl also thinks I am way too cute to be that young. <laughs> so I'm constantly flirting with her, trying to get hugs from her, trying to just bump into her the right way, and she's kind of throwing it back, and she shouldn't be. <laughs> Finally, one day, she makes me a wager, and I am the worst person to wager against. Never bet against me in anything, uh... because <laughs> I will follow through even on the dumbest bet. <laughs> like, if you don't believe I'm going to do it, I will prove you wrong just to win. It's fun. <laughs> so she says that uh, she was wearing this shirt that says, I love my boyfriend in big, colorful pink letters on a, like, teal shirt. It was super tight, and she wore it because it showed off her boobs. And it was this really skin-tight girl's shirt. I don't remember what it was, but somehow I got the balls to ask her, like, hey, what will it take for you to give me a topless hug? That's all I want is just a hug where I'm not wearing a shirt and you're not wearing a shirt. And uh. that's it. And she was like, wear this shirt to school tomorrow all day. And I was like, fucking deal. <laughs> so the next day I wore this girl's shirt around that said, I love my boyfriend in giant letters. And I got shit from my friends. I got shit from girls. All of them were like, who's your boyfriend? I'm like, I ain't got a boyfriend, but I'm going to kick ass topless hug tonight. <laughs> but I was, I was young. I was really young. And she followed through. I came home from school cool. and there she was. She was naughty though. Like I would, um, she would, babysit quote quote which was her way my mom had a bed in the living room because mom was a dumb <laughs> so um we had a bed in the living room and her form of babysitting was uh me spooning her while we watched movies and you bet your ass horny ass 12 me was handsy <laughs> <laughs> and she never said no and uh we uh, i always asked is this okay <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. Was, yeah. yeah yeah that's fine yeah. And that's one of the things I always did. I always got consent from the people I seduced and played with. <laughs> that's the most important thing to do. Just yeah. Even small things like that, like, hey, is this cool? Is this okay? Are you cool yeah. with this? That's fine. You can even make asking for consent sexy. That's one of the oh, most yeah. fun things to do. Like, oh, do you yeah. fucking want this? Yeah, that's what you want to do. You do. <laughs> would, would it make you wet if I... Oh, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> oh, yeah. And it's an art. I mean, it is being able to effectively communicate that kind of thing in the moment. Oh, yeah. Oh. And make it not stop the show, but mm -mm. feed it. <laughs> oh, and even if, okay, so I, I feel that a lot of people don't accept the fact that it's okay to laugh during sex. Oh. Like, if you can encourage. Laugh and cry. Laugh, cry, fucking all of it. Go through the spectrum of emotions. Fucking find where you can dig, you know? Mm -hmm. But. Being able to, hey. not it helps get rid of that self-consciousness, being able to get yeah. all, like, at a queef or, like, mm -hmm. you know, whiskey dick or whatever happens, you know, just. <laughs> mm -hmm. And I've said it before, one of my biggest uh, uh, kind of weird things is I love for boys and girls to cry on my dick. I love those hot tears. It's so beautiful. <laughs> I, I like that. Oh, I'm so sorry. No, no, go ahead. I was, I was <laughs> going to say I like that. Um, that like, 
soul bonding cry, like mm-hmm. where you're staring into each other's eyes, fucking like mm-hmm. that's that's oh, a good yeah. one. That's a good cry. Yeah. <laughs> to go back uh, just a hair to the a thing you were saying earlier about consent, like yeah, like learning about consent and how to do it well made me better at hitting on people because I don't have game. I know I don't have game. But oh, I, bullshit, you're charming. <laughs> oh, no, no. Yeah, but I didn't find a way to parlay that into me getting laid until I started being like, hey, so I don't have game, but I think that you're very attractive. I think that's information that's good for you to know. You don't have to do anything with that information. But Just, if you do, I'll enjoy but yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, you know, asking constantly for consent as you go, like, step further and step further. Like, I, you know, because before that, I just didn't know how to initiate anything. Yeah. And then I found out, oh, you just ask. You, well, you just talk to them. And people like that kind of thing i enjoy that kind of thing Mm -hmm. sexually if a person asks if this is okay or hey how about we try this i love that kind of communication Mm -hmm. that's a very important part of sexuality that's an important part of bdsm and it's also a thing of i feel so honored when someone gets the balls it's to say hey you're beautiful i want you maybe they don't say it in exactly those words but I want to jump your bones, baby. (laughs) That's an honor to me. Oh, yeah. And I want to give that honor to others, too. And too often... When you can't reciprocate that. Well, but that's okay. I've had many turndowns. And part of it is saying, honoring and respecting the person and saying, okay, it's not right for you at this moment. It may never be right for you. Mm -hmm. And that's totally okay. We'll be good friends. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that, you know, that that's why I, you know, I throw in that caveat. Like, you don't have to do anything with this information. Well, you you have approached me Mm -hmm. in that way before. Yeah. And I, I thought it was very endearing and very charming and very well put. And if... Uh, in the context, I did turn you down. I'm very sorry. No, I do want to play, okay. but it's, yeah, no, our relationship is complicated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's going to get more complicated. Yeah. And that's oh, fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but uh, so I, I thought of it uh, like this. There's probably a million and one people out there plus who would never think twice to mm-hmm. just even that would not remotely come across their mind, you know, that that was an important thing to do. But you have the know-how and the experience and the forethought to go, hey, wait a minute. I like it when people ask me these things, and I'm mm-hmm. honored when people tell me this. Mm-hmm. Why not share that information? What is so wrong with being open about that? Mm-hmm. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And this delicious nocturnal emissions. Touch your body. Explore. Get in touch with that amazing ecstasy. Take yourself on a flight to new sexual heights. Feel your body. Let it come alive. This is meant to be. This was designed by nature. And with that, have a good night.
Good night, guys. I find it interesting that adults in our culture are not provided with informative sexual education. Even married couples don't have access to an adequate sexual education and how to pleasure each other. It's assumed that somehow we will instinctively know all that we need to know about sex. I don't know how you feel about this, but I think there's a better method. I would like to invite you to join me in developing a sex-positive lifestyle with freedom of sexual expression between consenting adults. Join us each week to learn everything sexual. Add your comments about the show and any suggestions you have for future show topics. We would love to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss any episodes. This concludes this edition of Adult Bedtime Stories. Are you ready to experience nocturnal emissions? Sex is the final frontier. So explore everything sexual. For years, Minky Couture has been donating blankets to NICUs across the country. Owner Sandy Henry's grandson was born at 30 weeks, and she placed a mini blanket in her grandson's incubator. We want to help other NICU families with the Heart of Minky program. For every adult-sized blanket purchased, Minky Couture will donate a mini-sized blanket to NICUs across the nation. Thanks to you, we can fulfill our dream to blanket the world.